Aren't you thankful this morning that God's Word is still in His book? He is still on His throne and He lives. Amen? Hey, uh, I want to have just a moment here for Change the Story. You see it in your bulletin there this morning. And we've been uh, talking about this and we've been asking that we might be used to be the change. That we would be used of God to change somebody else's life. And in your bulletin this morning, you're going to notice that we have an announcement, a big announcement right in the middle of it. The ladies did a nice job making it very pretty for us. But on September 17th, we're going to have a dinner on the grounds and a baptism here. Uh, the place that we'd had our lake baptism for many years now uh, is no longer available to us. The folks that own it have been very gracious all these years and given it to us. And they just got to a point in their life and in their health, they just couldn't kind of manage all the things that were going on there. So they kind of uh, decided that they just wouldn't do that anymore. They felt very bad about that because they always appreciated us being there and doing what God had directed us to do there on that property and baptize people and proclaim his name. But on September 17th, we're going to do it out here on our own little lakefront property here. We're going to bring the little lake out there so we can baptize them. We've got a, a pool that we're going to use for the baptism. But it's going to be a very special day. There's no Sunday school that day for Sunday school teachers here. And if their Sunday school teachers are not here today, let them know. We'll let them know as well. But uh, we're just going to have a service at 1045. We'll have worship service then a baptism, and then check this out. We're going to have a big pig roast there. And uh, we're going to supply all the fixings, but it's also going to be another one of our days when we have a dessert contest. So ladies, begin planning now. Begin experimenting with all those recipes you've always wanted to try so you can bring a special dessert that day. It's going to be a great family day that day as we do a lake baptism right here on our property, out there on our, on our soccer field that God's so precious, uh, so graciously provided for us here. But uh, be a part of that. But uh, putting on that baptism on the grounds uh, takes a little bit of effort. In your bulletin, there's a little sign-up sheet here. There's some in the Sunday school rooms, too. There's a table out front if you don't see this thing. But we can use help in all these different areas there. If you'd be willing to help in one of those areas, please fill that out and leave it on the table in the foyer out there that has the sign by the same name on it, baptism on the grounds. But um, come and be a part of that, if you will. The men are going to come over here at 730 on the day before and set, set the uh, fuel up down there. So that's an opportunity, guys, also to help set up. But be a part of that, if you will. We've been talking about living the truly blessed life. We've been going through Jesus Christ's greatest sermon, the greatest sermon ever preached, but also through Jesus Christ's sermon here that teaches us what the new covenant entails, the life that he has for us, the life that we can have that has abundant life connected to it. If you have your Bibles here this morning, turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. As you find your way there, stand with me this morning, if you will, out of reverence and respect to the reading of God's holy word. Matthew 5, verse 8 says, Blessed are those, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's pray. Father, may you bless this time together, Father, as we look at your word. Father, I pray right now, Lord, that we would see revelation into our lives. Father, truly, what you intended this to mean in our lives. Father, we are all mindful of what Scott brought up a few moments ago, Father, of the world we live in today, Father, and the destruction and the brutality and the, the sin, Father, that we see in our nation today, Father, and around the world. So, Father, I pray today, Lord, that we would set our affections on you, maybe like never before. Father, we'd realize, Lord, that you've called us out, Father, to have a pure heart. Father, in your holy word, you've told us more than 830 times, Father, that the heart matters, that you care about the heart. You've used that word, Father, over and over in the Old Testament and then again in the New Testament, Father, to remind us, Lord, that it's all about the heart. 
Father, we're also mindful this morning, Father, when, when Samuel came looking for the next king of Israel, Father, he went and questioned every son and finally came to the point of realizing that David was to be the next king. And he didn't look like a king, Father. He was a little scrawny fellow, Father, as you know better than we do, Father. But, Lord, you told them that you were looking at the inside, at his heart, more than the outside, that David had a heart like yours. Father, oh, that all of us in this room, Father, would also desire to have that heart like yours. Father, speak to our heart today. Father, I thank you for each person here today. Father, I thank you for those that have needs as well. Father, I pray that you'd meet them today, Father, and they'd realize in a powerful way, Lord, that your abiding presence, Father, but also, Lord, that you have everything under control, that you've never taken your hand off their life or their situation. Father, we thank you now once again for this time in your holy word. Father, speak to our hearts. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, a story told years ago about an admissions committee for a very prestigious private college. And they liked to go through great detail in interviewing their prospective students. They kind of wanted to come to understand that student's character. And so they'd ask them right up front, well, we want to talk to you a little bit about your goals. So what are your life goals? Then they'd ask them such things as, well, what are you going to do if you gain admission to our college here? What are you going to do when you graduate from this college? Well, they might say, well, we're going to go out and find a job and make a lot of money. Well, what are you going to do with that job and with that money? So they go on and on and trying to get the individual kind of share their heart, share their vision for where they're going. And, you know, a lot of times they get the answers they're looking for and sometimes not. Let's lay the college student aside for a second and maybe ask ourselves the same questions. What are my life goals? What are the things that are most important in my life? Where do I want to be in a few years? What would be my five-year plan and my ten-year plan? And what ultimately do I want to see before I live? What is, what is my bucket list in my life? What are the things I want to see? Well, listen very carefully. Blessed are those who have a pure heart, for they shall see God. Yeah, that's it. The answer to our question is to see God. There should be nothing greater in our life than we desire to do. What is my goal in life? To see God. What do I want to accomplish in five years? To see God in a greater way. How about ten years? Even greater way. I want to see God in my life. What does that mean? Well, we're going to talk about that in a few minutes, but truly, do we have that heart that's geared towards God, that heart that's aimed towards God? Do I truly have a desire to have that pure heart that I might see God? Well, one of the things that means, well, what does it mean? Does it mean maybe to see see an artist's rendition of what God might look like? No. You know, when I call up a dear, dear friend and say, man, I can't wait to see you. I'm going to see one this next Saturday. In fact, my roommate from college decades ago. But, you know, when I say I want to see you, it doesn't mean I just want to look on Facebook and see his picture. Or don't want to look on the, the Internet and see whatever his business is, his business picture, or see an old picture of him in high school. I actually want to be with him. I want to be in his presence. When we want to see God, what does that mean? It means that we want to be in his presence. We want to affirm who he is, Father, with, with all of our life, who our Father is with all of our life. But we also want to see what he would do in our life. We want to see a manifestation of God's character and God's traits God, who He is in my life. I want to know His character better. I want to understand who He is better. I want to understand what He says in His Word here better. Let us be very, very clear today that God cares about our heart. Nothing short of having a pure heart is going to satisfy God. He wants us to have that pure heart. God wants you and I to be just like Jesus. He sent Jesus to this earth that we'd see a human model of what Jesus, what God looks like in a human form. He wants us to live a life pleasing to God. 
He wants us, listen very carefully, to have a singular purpose in our life, and it's God first. What is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength, and all of our mind. That's the greatest commandment. And I, I want you to understand the most important word in that whole great commandment is all. To love the Lord God with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, and all my God has an incredible plan for our lives. One of the great things about understanding what he's saying here is the fact that we're not going to truly understand life until we get our heart right with God. I want you to understand one other thing about this incredible beatitude this morning. To love the Lord, that blessed is the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This is the central and the most significant beatitude of all eight of them out there. We're not going to see the other beatitudes unless we start with this one, the fifth one, the sixth one. We're not going to be poor in spirit until we have a heart that God is purifying, a heart aimed towards God. Because we're not going to realize how spiritually depraved we are until our heart begins to purify itself. We're not going to mourn our sin until our heart becomes more pure. We're not going to be meek until we see our heart in more of a pure status. We're not going to be hungry and thirsty for righteousness until we see God, God is changing my heart. I want more. I want more of these things. God is telling us here this is very important to him, that we need to have that pure heart. Well, what is a pure heart? What is a pure heart? If you look at the de- definition in the Greek, it means unmixed. Well, what does that mean? It means that it's not mixed with anything from the world. There don't need to be any foreign objects or foreign material inside our heart. It needs to be God and God alone. The word pure suggests it's unmixed, it's unadulterated, it's undivided, it's undefiled, it's uncontaminated. That we have not allowed the world to contaminate or defile our heart. I'm here to tell you, it's impossible to do without the work of the Holy Spirit. But we're never going to have that totally pure heart. But yours and my desire should be to see our heart become more and more pure the closer I draw to Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but uh, my precious wife and I have. Go to a restaurant, and you're sitting down there to eat, and you look over at your water glass, and it's not exactly clean. And you realize, there's something wrong with my water glass here. And uh, Mr. Waiter or Mrs. Waitress, can I have another glass of water, please? There's something wrong with my glass here. And it's because it didn't get cleaned properly before. There's something in there. Or how about this in a restaurant? And we've had this one too, and this is horrifying to somebody in our family. There's a hair on my food. There's a hair on my food. Take this food back. You know, we don't like our food defiled. Isn't that amazing? Or how about this? Some of you have had surgery before. You go into the operating room, and there's the doctor comes in, and he's all dirty. He's got grease all over his hands. Things going on. That's not going to make it here. You're operating my body. I want clean hands. And we know that those doctors go to great lengths. You know, scrub their hands for, if not hours, at least minutes. And get in those strain, then put gloves on and put on a clean robe. And they put a mask on. And you walk in that surgery room. And, you know, if you saw a bunch of spare tires on the floor and a bunch of garbage in the corner, you wouldn't want to be operating that room. It's important that we have purity in these different things. How about some of you folks, and Amy unfortunately struggles with this once in a while, allergies. You know, in the springtime when the pollen starts coming out, the biggest way it affects me is it turns my maroon truck into a yellow truck. Walk out there and here's all this pollen. But unfortunately, there's a lot of folks that struggle with that. Allergies. 
You know, what it is, it's there's something that's impure in the air. And it causes us to have allergies. And, you know, we w wake up with headaches or we have trouble breathing or we have sinus problems and congestions or our eyes swell up and eyes, eyes begin watering. It's interesting that Americans have a growing concern with purity. That's important. That we all like to drink pure water. We really do. We know that's a problem around the world. Third world nations have a problem with that. And many children every day die from impure water and drinking it. We like to eat pure food. And, you know, there's a growing market out there for organic foods and for good cause. We don't want all these pesticides floating around our foods and all the impure things that are put on there. They, they do that sometimes to speed up the process of growing chickens or cows or crops. Or they do it to get the bugs off them. All kinds of reasons they use these things. But they're impurities. We don't want those impurities in our body. We like to breathe pure air as well. You know, uh, I, I spent time in Los Angeles in the Marine Corps, but also my grandparents lived there for a lot of years. And, you know, they dealt with a big problem out there called smog. You know that? All the exhaust and things. And it was, it was actually a cloud you could see hovering over the city of Los Angeles. It was so dense and the, the smog and the impurities in the air. But we need pure air. Jesus Christ talked to the Pharisees about being pure as well. He says this in Matthew 23. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but, but inside you're full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, he says, first cleanse the inside of the cup and the dish, that the outside may be clean as well. You know one of the things that happens here? Not just in this church, but everywhere. It's very easy for you and I to kind of put on that outward look. Oh, man, I'm pretty squared away. I'm pretty good. In fact, I'm a lot better than the Joneses down there or the, you know, the Thomases or whoever it might be. I'm doing pretty good. And so we kind of put on that facial facade or that facade in front of people. When the inside we realize isn't where it needs to be. The inside of our life is not what God intended to be. God cares about this much about your outside, but he cares this much about your inside. God cares about our heart. Listen very carefully. When we allow God to purify our heart, when we seek that pure heart, I'm going to talk about how to do that in a minute. When we seek that pure heart in our life, you know what happens? The outside changes too. It's no longer fake. You ever heard this before where somebody lies a lot, has trouble remembering his lies? <laughs> it's, it's sad. They do. I, I just dealt with somebody down in Nashville recently about that. You know, lied to me about once a week. The next week it would be a different lie. I said, well, which is it? That or that? Couldn't remember lies from week to week. But when we allow God to purify our heart, you know what happens? He changes us. He changes who we are. We began being more like Jesus Christ. You know, where does this affect the church? Well, it's sad that I think people that know better, people that understand who Jesus Christ is and have made a personal commitment to him, they've gotten to a point in their life because they're so busy and there's so many things out there, so many things pulling their heart away in different directions, so many things pulling their attention, their mind, and their time away, that they've become comfortable living kind of far away from God. What is the way that we can live closest to God? By having a pure heart. By having a heart that looks like his. David, I just mentioned a few minutes ago, God says he has a heart like mine. David has a heart like mine. You know, the times when Jeremiah and Isaiah were prophesizing, there was a very, very clear problem with the heart of the Israelites. Incredibly hard. In fact, Jeremiah says this in chapter 17. God told Jeremiah to tell the nation of Israel, he says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Did you hear that? 
God is telling the nation of Israel, I believe he has kind of the same message for America today, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. God was telling the nation of Israel, you have a part problem here. You've turned your back on me. America today has basically, as a nation, turned their back on God as well. We not only kind of put sin on the books, but we also celebrate it here in America. It's sad how easily you and I are deceived. This scripture talks about deception, that we are deceived, how easily we're deceived. God knows our weaknesses. He knows our strengths as well. But he's saying, hey, I got something so much better for you. I got something up here, and you're settling down here for scraps on the floor. I want you to come sit at my banquet table. How easily you and I are deceived. I want you to see a very interesting scripture here. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, again, I'm going to turn you a couple of places here in a few moments. But turn to Revelations 12, verse 4 for a minute. As we know, this is the most powerful book about prophecy that's ever been written. The book of Revelations, the Apostle John wrote it. And he's outlining the condition of the churches, but now he's beginning to talk about what's going to happen and what has been happening here. And this is huge. And maybe I don't know if you noticed it when you read through it before, but I want you to realize here how, how, how big this is. Revelations 12.4, our, our foe from all time, Satan himself, has been described in this book of Revelations over and over, but listen to how he describes him here. Verse 4, it says, His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven, he's talking about the angels, and threw them to earth. And the dragon, the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. Well, what the heck does that mean, Pastor? It means that Satan himself has had a target on your back since the day you were born. He wanted to devour you. What does it say in John 10.10? 10? That the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Make no mistake, there's an enemy out there to destroy you. There's an enemy out there that the last thing he wants you to get, very, listen very carefully, is a pure heart. Because he realized if you have a pure heart, you're going to be a major impact for the glory of God. You're going to serve the cause of Christ like you've never served before. As I see my heart get more purified, I'll be the first to confess to you. I have problems in my heart. But as I've drawn close to God over these years as a pastor and got, got my heart back right with God, you know what he's changed? He's changed me. He's changed who I am. I see the fruits of the Spirit in my life now like I never saw before. God wants to do a marvelous work inside each one of us. But the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. The dragon stood before the woman and said, I want to devour your baby. That's you and I. The, that Satan wants to destroy us. I don't want you to be scared this morning because Why? Because he that is in us is greater than he who is in the world. You know that. Listen very carefully, though. We don't stand a chance against the devil. We don't on our own. But the devil doesn't stand a chance against us when we got Jesus Christ in the middle of our heart. He doesn't. He doesn't. We underestimate the enemy, though. We really do. And because of our finite minds in an infinite world with God, we kind of sell ourselves short. We short see things. We don't think, well, this isn't really going to bother me, or this isn't really wrong. Really? I want you to think about this for just a second. How much time on a daily or weekly basis do you spend confessing? How much time do you really spend? I'd eventually say most of us don't spend a whole lot of time, pastor included. Spend a little bit, especially if I've done something I regret or something I feel like I want to fix or change. But how much time do we really spend confessing? 
How much time do we really spend asking God to forgive me these things? You know what precedes that? Is you and I getting serious with God about the, what the things that are wrong in me? Or where am I missing the mark here? Or what are the things? Or maybe you feel pretty good about the, where you're at. But asking God, God revealed to me the things that still keep me from receiving the fullness of your grace. God, show me the things in my life that aren't right. A lot of times we can't realize these things, but God will point them out. Well, Gary, you're holding on to a grudge against this person. Or Gary, you need to go forgive this person. Or Gary, how come you don't spend more time in my book with me every day? Or Gary, how come you don't pray without ceasing? You know, all the things that we think about in life, I don't want you to think about doing this to feel shame or guilt. God doesn't want you to feel that. God just wants you to have a pure heart. Think about this. And I'm so blessed to have my wife. But several of our kids through the years, when they've done the dishes, you know what she does before she puts them away? Inspects them. <laughs> because a couple of kids just in a haste to get it done, don't really rinse them off before you put them in there. There might be baked lasagna or something on the plate or charbroiled burgers on the plate. Who knows what it is, but it goes in there and it doesn't get clean. So what does she do? She inspects those plates coming out of the refrigerator or the cups. Make sure there's no hairs on them. I told you that's a little problem. I want to make sure that you and I aren't giving more inspection to a clean plate than to our clean heart. Am I inspecting my heart? Do I look at my heart and say, God, I want a pure heart? Why? Because I want to see God. I want to see God. You know, we talked about a dragon there in Revelation 12, 4. I want to talk this morning about having a, a pure heart. And how do we do that? I want to understand for a second some of the tendencies that pull us off having a, 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 a pure heart. What are the things that cause us not to have a pure heart? And I've kind of named these based on the story of the three-headed dragon. I want to talk for just a second about the dragon of doubt. I want to talk about the dragon of apathy. And I want to talk about the dragon of lust. These three things, among other things, but these three things are probably the top of the list here that we deal with, that we struggle with. The first tendency to pull our heart away from God is the dragon of doubt. Well, what is doubt? The enemy wants to plant seeds in you and I of uncertainty and distrust. He wants us to have questions about God. Think about Adam and Eve. You know, Eve had some doubts that God was telling the truth when he said, don't eat that tree. The old serpent came along, Satan himself, and said, hey, don't listen to God. He wasn't serious about that. He just doesn't want you to be like him. Doubts about what God meant. Doubts about God's word. It's sad today, but many Christians don't understand God's word well enough to realize what's truth and what's not truth. What is the truth? I'm here to tell you, listen very carefully, the world is perpetuating nothing but lies. The world is controlled by Satan himself. This is his domain. Our world is not here on this earth. Our world is in heaven. We're just passing through. We're just sojourners, pilgrims in this world. We're passing through. We're operating, listen very carefully, in enemy territory. So we're going to be filled with lies over and over and over again. So many lies that pretty much it permeates our soul. Adolf Hitler made this comment famous. He said, if you lie enough, they'll believe you. That's what's going on in America, lying enough. Amy and I were sitting the other day in a restaurant having some lunch. You know what was so sad? We saw all kinds of people come through that restaurant. It's kind of a popular restaurant, fast food restaurant. But they were all having a little problem with their sexual identity. It bothered me. But we've bought into all these lies so much. It didn't bother me from the perspective of being anger or being want to protest it. It bothered me from an anger and, and, a, and a hurt. 
I was troubled because nobody had shown them the truth. You know as well as I do, there's too many children growing up today in godless homes. Some of them don't have both parents, but some of them have parents that don't know God. So we have a mission out there to reach out to people. You know, problem with the, the, the dragon of doubt is that we begin second-guessing God's Word. Was God really certain when He did this? Was God's Word really true? Does God really mean this? We also have a problem with doubt in obedience. We look at obedience sometimes and think, you know, that's just too difficult. Or, you know, that's really the pastor's job. Or that's the deacon's job. Or that's the teacher's job. We have a problem with obedience. And we kind of justify in our mind because of doubt. I just, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know how to do that. You know, it's interesting. The other problem with doubt is identity theft. We begin wondering who we are. Or we grow up not knowing who we are. You know, I can say, well, I, I came from this home or I had this situation. And, and there's a lot of brutal, sad situations out there. But the bottom line, when I have a pure heart, when I begin getting rid of the dragon of doubt, you know what happens? I realize who I am in God. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm made in God's image, and I'm special. I don't care what Sally, Sue, and Joe think about me. I'm special. I'm special to God. I want to be liked. I want to be friendly. But most important of all, I want to be loved for who I am in God. I want to be who God made me to be. The dragon of apathy. This is huge for us, guys. It really is. Remember Eve? Eve eating that fruit from the tree? Well, I want you to know it wasn't a unilateral decision. She went out there in the garden all by herself with Satan. There was somebody standing right beside her when she ate it. Adam. Apathy. Adam's biggest sin, listen very carefully, was not eating the fruit as well. Adam's biggest sin was not fighting for what was right based on God. He should have told his wife, don't eat that. God didn't tell Eve personally not to eat the tree. Adam told her. God told Adam. God told us as well what he wants us to do and what he wants us to be about. He wants us to be witnesses. He wants us to go into all the world and make disciples. He wants you and I to pray without ceasing. He wants us to meditate on his day and his word day and night. God's very clear to us, just like he was to Adam. We have to fight for what's right in God. I'm here to tell you. Why? Because we're in a world that's our enemy. We're living in, in, in dangerous territory. I appreciate Scott sharing this morning, too, about what's going on. And you, you know it already, but I appreciate his heart for that, too. And he and I had a great discussion this morning. We're bombarded in this world by human tragedy. We really are. It's incredible. You know, just the two things that came to my mind last night thinking about this whole message for this morning. How about Spain? What happened over there? How sad. Worldwide. But you know what happened on Friday, too? Six police officers in America got shot. What is going on? What is going on out there? I'm sure you're like me right now. We're kind of seeing, slowly but surely, it's picking up speed what America looks like when America turns its back on God. That's what's going on. America as a nation has basically turned their back on God. There's still good people out there, still Christians. But I'm sure you've thought this thought too, how helpless the government is, both the local, the state, and the federal government, how helpless they are to really make a difference in so many situations. I thank God for those that stand in the gap. I thank God for our EMS workers and our first responders and our policemen and state troopers and those guys that are willing to go out there and stand in the line 
of fire. The thin blue line, they call it. Standing there trying to separate evil from good. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You know, that's not going to change this world. You and I having a pure heart is what's going to change this world. The scripture can sit in the book all day long. But until you and I come to the point in our life and desire to have that pure heart, you know what? We're just going to see this nation continue to go in the wrong direction. What God said this morning was profound, too. I did see one African-American person. He has a radio show. I've never heard of it before, but a radio show. He's on the news. And they were talking, getting his opinion about what's going on out there. And he said this on national TV. I loved it. It had to be live, and that's why I got on there. He said, our nation's not going to change until we turn our hearts back to God. On national TV, I love that. But for the most part, we don't see that on TV. Why? Because the enemy doesn't want it. The enemy does not want that out there. He doesn't want to give you even the first thought about that. Without seeing God, our entire human existence is going to collapse. I believe there's still a great remnant. There's a great remnant in this church. God wants to do a great work. You know, I want you to think just for a second. I'm sure we're all aware of what's going to happen tomorrow too, right? The total solar eclipse. Understand, it's the first time we've seen it in 100 years. Flip with me real quick over to Joel for a second. You know what's happening tomorrow is actually in the Bible. What? Joel chapter 2, verse 31. Joel chapter 2, verse 31. It says in verse 31, The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. You know what God was saying to Joel? Tell these people that I'm going to do great things to get their attention. I don't want them to miss it. I want you to think about how this all happens tomorrow. I want you to think about the physics and the dynamics involved in how the, rota- the earth rotates and the sun rotates and the moon rotates and all these things. How is it that they line up perfectly for a day every hundred years or so and we have no sun for a few moments? How did that happen? There's only one answer. God did that. What does God want you and I to understand? I don't know, and we don't know until Tuesday, if this is a warning to America that judgment is now here. Who knows? I can tell you right now that God is calling you and I out to repent. God is calling you and I out to turn our faces and our hearts back to God. And, I'm, you know, we can all kind of justify ourselves, even your pastor. Well, I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. You know, I do good things for God and all these things and say my Bible every day and pray, uh, pray some. That's not good enough. God wants us every day to get up and seek a pure heart. God wants us to get up every day and desire to have that pure heart, to search for it, just like I said a minute ago, inspecting those glasses and plates coming out of the dishwasher. God, show me things in my heart that aren't right. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It's time for God's people to get right with God, truly right. You know one of the things I've noticed over the years? How sad it is that we don't have people throwing stones at our church from across the street because they don't like us talking about Jesus Christ. They get it happened in some places. People get martyred around the world for that. That the biggest problem that churches has is inside. A little bickering or arguing or I don't like the way that person looks or I don't like that or don't like this person that or don't, that, don't like this. Really? 
Really? The significance Jesus Christ made is that we be unified. The only way we can be unified as a body of believers is to have a pure heart, to have a heart, all of us together, facing God and growing closer to God. But no, because we're weak, because our flesh is weak, because we're human, we all make mistakes, we're all human, we get pulled off a little bit in the wrong directions. I can tell you, I've sought my heart big time through these Beatitudes, but especially this last two weeks preparing for this one. To have a pure heart, what does that mean? It begs the question in yours and my life, is God waiting on us or are we waiting on God? I can tell you right now, God's waiting on us. The dragon of lust, the third dragon, had the dragon of the doubt, the dragon of apathy, the dragon of lust. What is lust? It's chasing after worldly things. It's chasing after things that our flesh desires, food or water or sex or, you know, power, whatever it might be. It's lust. It's chasing the wrong things. I want to tell you, though, you're never going to be satisfied chasing after the things you lust after. The more you feed it, you know what? The more you want it. The more you desire to have it. Only way, the only way that you and I will ever meet our greatest needs is to meet somebody else's. It's to serve. Jesus Christ came to serve. We need to live in such a way as we desire to serve others. Desiring and, and seeking and having satisfaction in this world rests on the far side of sacrifice. Did you follow that? The only way that you and I will ever, ever have completeness in the Lord and begin to feel what that pure heart looks like is found on the far side of sacrifice. Well, what do you mean, Pastor? I mean sacrifice the things that you're drawn to. I'm going to sacrifice TV so I can get into God's holy word. I'm going to sacrifice a little bit of rest time and get up early in the morning so I can spend that quiet time with him and pray. I'm going to sacrifice my time and go out and help somebody else, do somebody else to help somebody else, do something to help somebody else. Lust is selfish. Love is sacrificial. You hear that? Lust is selfish. Love is sacrificial. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Well, what does that mean? It means not a picture. It means having a personal encounter with God and having a, a genuine, real encounter with God. What happens when that happens? Well, first of all, we're admitted into his presence. I feel God in me. I feel God's presence here. I feel his abiding presence in my life. The second thing I believe that happens is we're awestruck with his glory. And finally, we're confronted by the grace we've been given. It's absolutely amazing that I'm sitting here in the presence of God and he sent his son to die for me personally and I have the assurance of life ever after. But I also have this abundant life here in this earth. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. I have these things. I'm going to finish with this thought. It comes out of Exodus 33. I'm sure most of you are familiar with the story, but the nation of Israel had sinned and um, God was ready to not go forward with Moses. Moses said, oh, I don't want to go further. Don't, don't take us any further without you, God. He said, well, I'm going to send the angels. God, don't do that. And so Moses and God had a dialogue back and forth, and finally God said, okay, I'll go forward with you. God was always going to go forward with the nation of Israel, but he wanted to see Moses' heart. He wanted to see what he thought. So if you remember in Exodus 33, verse 18, that Moses said, God, please show me your glory. 
Well, we know the truth about God is nobody can see God personally face-to-face and live. It just doesn't happen. So God told Moses, well, go up on the mountain. Go up on top of that mountain. Moses went up that mountain. And God said, hey, Moses, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to hide you over in the cleft of the rocks. And I'm going to pass by you very quickly and you can see the back side of me. Because if you looked on me, you'd die. Because no man's ever going to see me and live. So Moses said, okay. So Moses went over there, hid in the cleft of those rocks. And God passed by, the glory of God that says in the Bible, passed by him. And Moses saw that. Remember, it changed what he looked like. Just seeing the back of God changed him. If he'd seen the front, he would have died. He would have burned up. Be like walking into the middle of a nuclear reactor. But Moses saw God. The glory of God passed by Moses. He had a pure heart at that time and wanted to see God, and he saw the back of him. God's glory passed by him. We say, what, what difference does that make? What's the big deal about Moses seeing him? Well, listen very carefully. After Moses saw God, he picked up a pen and a paper. He began writing, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the earth, and the Spirit of God was with men. What do you mean? What does that mean? Well, Moses wasn't alive when that happened. But God revealed himself to Moses in a powerful way. Moses saw God like he'd never seen before. He had insight about life. He realized what had happened before, and he realized what was going to happen in the future. He realized, while well, all these things were working together. He had a greater picture about life. The Bible tells us in Psalms 112, those that walk upright will see light in this darkness. Moses saw light. Moses realized in a greater way who God was because he saw God. Well, it's the same for you and I. When we get to a point in our spiritual walk and we have a heart that's geared towards God, you know what we're going to see? We're going to see God. We're going to see God in a greater way. We're going to see maybe why those things happened before. Think about Romans 12 too. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does that mean? It means get your heart right. That you, listen very carefully, that you may prove the good and perfectly acceptable will of God. When we get our hearts right with God and we get our hearts pure, you know what happens? We begin seeing God. And we can actually begin proving, that's what the scripture says, proving the things of God. I can prove that this came from God. I can prove that this came from God. I can prove that God's has his hand on my marriage, that God has his hand on me, that God's provided for me, God's spared me in many times. God's shown me new things. <coughs> when we see God, we can realize that God desires to turn our miserable yesterdays into magnificent tomorrows. That's what walking with Christ is all about. Well, why does God want to take our miserable yesterdays and turn them into magnificent tomorrows? So we can bring glory to Him. When you and I are living in a, in a magnificent light of Jesus Christ, when we're walking in the light, you know what? we got bragging rights. Let me tell you what God did today. Let me tell you what God did today. Let me tell you what God's doing. Let, let me tell you what God did to my family. God wants us to have a personal, intimate relationship with Him. It's not going to happen until you and I have that pure heart.